Whether your dog needs these vaccines is dependent on their lifestyle and where you live as far as climate as well. podcast, a podcast for the modern dog parent. I'm your host, Carly, and every Wednesday I bring on pet professionals or some fellow dog parents, and we laugh, learn, and commiserate about everything from the confusing vet visits to dog park etiquette to the 2 a.m. potty breaks. Essentially, life with a dog. Hello, my wonderful people with a dog. We've got a solo episode for you today, and This has been one of the hardest solo episodes for me to do. So today we're talking about non-core dog vaccines. So that means dog vaccinations that are not necessarily required by law. We already went over the core vaccines, and that was on episode 102 that came out um, on April 6th of 2022. So about two months ago. And um, I'm just now getting around to doing part two of that episode, which is the non-core vaccines. I highly recommend you go and listen to episode 102 if you haven't already, and maybe listen to that one first, because in that one, I make a lot of disclaimers. I actually make like a bajillion (laughs) disclaimers about why I'm doing the episode as far as like it's purely just for knowledge. It's not telling you how to vaccinate your dog. That is not my job. That is something that your veterinarian should be recommending. And I'm not doing this episode to counteract any information that you get from a veterinary professional. This is purely just like for your knowledge. This is why it's an FYI episode for your information. So you know what vaccines do what and why your dog it may or may not need to receive those vaccinations. In addition, in that last episode, the core vaccine episode, I did go over kind of like what a vaccination is, why it's important for your dog, what kind of symptoms you may see, like some common um, vaccine creators or like companies, vaccine companies, things like that. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, It'd be great if you go listen to it first or listen to it, you know, right after you listen to this one. Okay, so getting into the content of today's episode, non-core vaccines. They are important and honestly, most of them are recommended for all dogs, but sometimes they're not always needed for every single dog. It is very dependent on the type of lifestyle that your dog leads. So the vaccines that I'm going to be talking about parainfluenza, leptospirosis, bordetella, canine influenza, Lyme, and rattlesnake. Those last two are a bit of like miscellaneous misnomer ones, but I I wanted to include them all just in case. The, The really like the main ones are those first four that I listed. And as I mentioned earlier, this episode was really hard for me to do because there is so much conflicting information out there on the internet about these specific vaccines. And when I say conflicting information, I don't just mean like, you know, from so-and-so's dog mom, holistic health blog, whatever. Like I'm talking about websites that are 
veterinary medical association websites or actual like veterinary practices who have blog posts, things like that, where you would think that the research, like the information on there would be very correct and up to date, especially if those posts were, you know, within the last couple of years here. But I found that was not the case. So imagine my surprise when I'm doing all this research and I think that I'm going on the correct, getting the correct sources and everyone is saying something slightly different about what is a core vaccine, what is not a core vaccine, kennel cough, what causes kennel cough, Lyme disease and rattlesnake and like all this stuff. It was, there were a lot of just different posts saying different things and I wanted to make sure I had the right information for all of you. I even called my own vet. You know, they said something that was slightly different than some of the other vets that I sourced. But I am pulling this information from American Veterinary Medical Association. So they are the standard. They are the, you know, what everyone should be following. And so that's the information I'm giving you guys today is sourced directly from the AVMA website. And also to clarify There was nothing that was overly conflicting. Like when I say it was conflicting information, I don't mean that some websites are like, you need it. And then others are like, it's bullshit. Like it wasn't anything super divisive like that. It was just that on some websites, they listed para-influenza as a mandatory core vaccine and others they did not. And so that's why I started questioning. I started being like, oh crap, am I have to going to go back and have to redo the core vaccine episode too. Like, did I get that information wrong? Turns out I did not. We're all good. But I will explain more as we get more into this episode. So buckle in, everyone. It's going to be a lot of my voice. We're going to get through it. And I hope this is informational for you. And if it is, I'd love it if you're able to share it with fellow dog parents or on your stories or however you want to do it, it would mean a lot to me. And once again, as I said, I am not a veterinary medical professional. So anything your vet recommends for your dog, please listen to them. This is only for your information. All right. Non-core vaccines. As I mentioned before, These are vaccines that are not necessarily required by law. So the core vaccines that we went through on the last episode was rabies and distemper, adenovirus, and parvo. Those are the core ones. Those are the ones that like pretty much no matter what your dog should be receiving. Today, we are going over parainfluenza, leptospirosis, bordetella, canine influenza, and Lyme and rattlesnake. Whether your dog needs these vaccines is dependent on their lifestyle and where you live as far as climate as well. Complete honesty, if your dog is fairly active and interacts with any other dogs, they're probably going to need most of these. So I don't want it to make it sound like you should really be waffling on, oh, does my dog need these? If, If you are a dog parent where you take your dog out, hiking, you take them to a dog park, doggy daycare, anything like that, you're probably, your dog is probably going to need most of these vaccines. Okay, let's get into this. First up, parainfluenza. Canine parainfluenza is one of the viruses that cause kennel cough. It is highly contagious. It commonly develops where, in situations where there's lots of dogs around, so hence the name kennel cough. 
and it is actually just one of the many viruses that can cause kennel cough in dogs. So that was another point of confusion for me because as I was doing my research, I saw that many of these viruses or diseases were said to be the cause of kennel cough. And I was like, what? I thought that was just Bordetella. Anyway, I'm now going to be doing a whole nother FYI episode down the road on kennel cough specifically because I think it it would be really useful for everyone to understand how many different viruses cause kettle cough. And it's not just like kennel cough equals this one virus. So that's a, a episode for another day. But as I said, canine parainfluenza, respiratory virus, one of the many viruses that can cause kennel cough in dogs. It is usually transmitted through the air, hence why many dogs in close proximity, it can be very contagious. Obviously, it spreads very rapidly in kennels, shelters, doggy daycares, anything like that, even dog parks. And one of the reasons this episode gave me so much grief was because of the the conflicting information about canine para-influenza. So it is commonly given in conjunction with core vaccines. So if you listen to episode 102 about core vaccines, there's one that's distemper, adenovirus, and parvovirus. And oftentimes, and those are all combined into one vaccine. So like one bottle, one injection. Oftentimes, parainfluenza is included in that solution, in that mixture. So it would be called like DAPP, distemper, adenovirus, parvovirus, parainfluenza, which is why so many articles out there say it's mandatory because technically it is most often given with those core vaccinations. However, according to the AVMA website, it is not considered a core vaccine. It's like a plus minus, like it can be given with this other vaccination, the core DAP, or it can be given in mixture with Bordetella, which is a non-core vaccination. I didn't see much evidence out there that it was ever really given on its own. So as I said, that's why there's so much conflicting info. I am going to keep it in this episode as a non-core vaccination because that is what the AVMA says, that it, it is not required. It is technically not mandatory. However, if your veterinarian stocks the DAPP vaccine and that's what your dog receives, then it is what it is. And that's okay. So canine parainfluenza, often given with the core vaccines in the same mixture. It is a virus, a respiratory virus, very contagious, and it would be good for your dog to be protected against it if they come into contact with really any other dogs. So that's all I'm going to say about canine parainfluenza. A lot of conflicting info, and though technically not required, like not a core vaccine, I think most of the veterinary community treats it as a core vaccine, and I think as dog parents, we probably should too. Moving on, next one, leptospirosis. Lepto is actually one that is a bit near and dear to my heart because when I was working at a vet office, we there was a, a small outbreak in lepto in our area, and I, I learned a lot about the disease at that time and why it's so important, especially if you live in a wet climate like I do in Seattle. 
So leptospirosis is a disease caused by infection with the leptospira bacteria. So it is a bacteria. Leptospirosis is a zoonotic disease, which means it can be spread from animals to people. It is very rare that it's actually spread from like your pet to humans. It's more often that a human would contract it on their own or like if they're in the same body of water as wildlife or something like that. But it is a zoonotic disease. Lepto mainly occurs in subtropical, tropical, and wet environments. So places that are like marshy and muddy and especially places that have stagnant surface water or especially also farmland. So places that are stagnant water, frequented by wildlife, farmland irrigation. And so basically how it's transmitted through that water is usually through urine from wildlife. So dogs typically contract lepto through direct contact with urine from an infected animal. So let's say a duck has the leptobacteria, they pee in a puddle or a creek, then your dog goes in and drinks in that creek or drinks from that puddle. Or if they have any type of like open sore or some, some way that it can get into their body in that way if they're in the water. As you may expect, most dogs that get leptospirosis are like hunting or sporting dogs, dogs that live in wooded areas or around like rural farmland, and especially if they are drinking any water that's not out of the tap in those areas. You have a little bit better luck with running water that's not stagnant, so rivers, creeks, that like some kind of running water is, is probably going to have a less of a chance of leptospirosis bacteria sitting in that water. However, it's not a zero chance. So me living in Seattle, leptospirosis is pretty much required for most dogs living kind of in the Pacific North Northwest. As I said, it's a non-core vaccine, so it's not an actual requirement, but it's highly recommended. So my dogs are always vaccinated against leptospirosis because as much as I watch them, sometimes they will start licking in a puddle or a creek or something like that. And there's a lot of water in Seattle. There's a lot of just puddles and sometimes sitting water. And I want to make sure they're protected against that. Now, if you live in a different part of the world or the US that really just doesn't have any of that, any type of stagnant or marshy water. And it's very rare that your dog will drink any type of water that's not from a faucet, then maybe your vet wouldn't recommend it as highly for your dog. As far as the severity of lepto, it can be treated like with antibiotics and supportive care, but like if it's not caught early, it can very much be deadly. And in my experience with lepto, when I was working at a vet office, I remember we had a couple dogs that were in our hospital supportive care for like a week because they had lepto. So as I said, it, it can be very deadly. It can get very bad, which is why I always make sure my dogs are vaccinated against it. It is a yearly vaccination that is done subcutaneously, so right under the skin. And so we just get it, my dogs get it about every 12 months. All right, so that is leptospirosis. Now we're moving on to Bordetella. So as I kind of talked about before with the parainfluenza and kennel cough, Bordetella is another, it's actually a bacterium, not a virus. 
but it is associated with causing kennel cough. So Bordetella, as I said, bacterium, it invades the lung tissues and is spread by a dog who has Bordetella, coughs, sneezes. It could easily be contracted by another dog nearby. It's an upper respiratory infection and is actually loosely related to whooping cough in people. So some of the symptoms would be, you know, like a dry, persistent cough, lots of like gagging, hacking. It's very like a loud, harsh cough. And sometimes there's no sign at all that a dog has it. Usually the treatment for it is antibiotics and low activity. It's something that can be very dangerous if left for a long time, can be deadly, um, especially if the dog is maybe has a lowered immune system or is unhealthy to begin with, which is why there is a vaccine against it. So this vaccine is, as I said, this whole episode, it's a non-core vaccination. So if your dog is literally never around other dogs, never around potentially contracting this Bordetella, then your dog may not need it. However, even if your friend brings their dog over and their dog goes to doggy daycare every single week and your dog is not vaccinated against Bordetella, that could be a potential risk factor. However, if you do have a dog that interacts with other dogs, doggy daycare, dog parks, just friend get-togethers, whatever it is, Bordetella is probably recommended for your dog's lifestyle. If your dog goes into those type of situations very regularly, so frequent doggy daycare, dog boarding facilities, crowded dog parks, if they're the type of dog that is going multiple times a week, then your dog may be at even a higher risk of contracting it. So sometimes, especially those facilities may actually recommend your dog receive Bordetella vaccine every six months. Usually it's a 12-month vaccination, so your dog would need it with just their other yearly vaccines. But if they are frequently, as I said, going to those type of facilities, sometimes they will actually ask for a six, every six-month Bordetella vaccination so they can avoid a potential outbreak within their business. And Bordetella vaccine is actually usually administered intranasal intranasally. So that means basically it's like a spray up the nose. Most times if you like if you've ever been in the vet office and the vet tech or the veterinarian is giving the vaccine, sometimes you won't even know that they just like shot one up the nose. They are so fast about it. And it's really cute. Like I used to have to give these vaccines when I was at the shelter and you just like quickly spray it up theirs and the and the dogs are like, what? What just happened? And then give like a little sneeze. And so that's the most common way to get, give Bordetella. There are um, injectable like sub-Q ways as well. So if that's what your veterinarian stocks, that's totally fine. There is also a way to give it orally, but it's like between the gums and inner cheek. That one, personally, I've never seen before, but some veterinarians may prefer it. So however your vet gives it, it's completely safe. But the most common one that I've seen is the intranasal one. And so after the initial dose of the vaccine, your dog would receive a booster and then that'll last them the whole next year or six months or however long your dog would need it. And also, you know, with many vaccines, it doesn't necessarily mean your dog will never get kennel cough or get Bordetella. It just means that if they potentially do contract it or come into contact with it, their body will have a much, much better 
chance of fighting it off. So I would always say, you know, better safe than sorry. Talk to your vet to see if Bordetella vaccination is something that they would recommend for your dog or not. All right, that is Bordetella. Moving on, we've got canine influenza. And surprise, surprise, it is also a cause of kennel cough in dogs. There are two types of canine influenza viruses, so not a bacteria, virus, and it causes respiratory infections in dogs. As you can tell by the name canine influenza, it's it's like a flu vaccine for dogs, essentially. It is considered more of a lifestyle vaccine, not recommended for every single dog. It's very similar to Bordetella as far as why your dog would need to receive it, though. So if they are frequently in activities where they come into contact with other dogs, so boarding facilities, daycare, dog sports, I forgot to mention that. So I'm not going to repeat myself as far as pretty much everything I said as far as with Bordetella. It is canine influenza vaccination is very similar. You get one shot, it's subcutaneous, and then your dog would get another shot a few weeks later, and then they're good for a whole year. This one is not needed um, as frequently as Bordetella. So as I said, sometimes the Bordetella is needed every six months. As far as all of my research can tell, canine influenza is really only needed once a year. It is two viruses. And so most of the time, the vaccine is one vaccine and it is given protects against both strains of the canine influenza virus. Symptoms of canine influenza are pretty much the same that I listed before when I talked about kennel cough. So you get the sneezing, the hacking, coughing, snotty nose, and you should ask your vet's recommendation on if your dog needs this yearly vaccine against canine influenza. Okay, those were like the four main non-core vaccines. Those are the ones that you're going to hear about the most. Those are the ones that your dog is probably going to need if they lead a very active social lifestyle. Lepto is probably the only one in that series that maybe your dog would not need depending on the climate and where they live. But those are the those are the four. So we've covered now between the last episode on core vaccines and so far today, we've covered pretty much the the main ones. The next two that I'm going to list are a little bit miscellaneous. And I had to track down. It was very interesting because some some articles, some sites would list these as like a hardcore recommended and then other ones would not list them at, at all. Like they, they it wouldn't even be a consideration. And as I said, I am I'm getting my final info. The gold standard that I'm using is the AVMA website. And on their website, Lyme vaccine is not really listed as core or non-core. However, the rattlesnake vaccination is, which I found very interesting. And of course, it's, it's listed as non-core. But these two are ones that I think would be recommended for your dog if they are, I want to, <laughs> I almost wanted to say like wild dogs, but like if you are hunting sporting, something like that with your dogs, if there are rattlesnakes in the area that your dog is, if there are ticks in the area, so that's the Lyme disease vaccination, then I would talk to your vet about if your dog needs this vaccination. Honestly, I think most urban veterinarians 
will probably not even carry these vaccines because the assumption is that the chance in a dog that lives in a very urban area is probably never going to come across the need for these vaccinations. But if you are in a more rural area or you frequent rural areas and your dog is running through the hills, through the mountains, more or less, you know, unchecked or a little bit more on their own, and there's a more of a chance that they could come into contact with a rattlesnake, then the Western Diamondback rattlesnake vaccination would be recommended for your dog. Um, Obviously, it's only if your dog is in geographical areas where rattlesnakes are prevalent. If your dog is accompanying you, you know, hiking, camping trip, hunting excursions, the dosing requirements for the vaccination is very much dependent on the size of your dog and the frequency that they are at risk. So um, sometimes, you know, they may need it every six months, but usually it's an annual vaccine and it is a subcutaneous vaccination. And so that does protect them if they are bitten by a rattlesnake. It doesn't protect them from having any negative symptoms and that you should still seek treatment if they do get bit. It'll protect them from the rattlesnake venom being absolutely deadly, though. All right. So that's that one. Next is Lyme disease. So Lyme disease, as many people know, it's it is transmitted by ticks. And so that's going to be a lot more of a common organism that your dog encounters in the wild, you know, really, even if you're in a, live in an area where ticks aren't as common, they're still around. And it can be easy as, you know, your dog just walking through some grass and getting bitten by a tick. Ways to prevent your dog from getting Lyme disease in the first place is having them on some kind of tick prevention, especially in the summer or like as it gets warmer, kind of through spring through fall. You know, so there's like Brevecto and you can, that's a whole other episode of tick, flea, mosquito prevention. So the Lyme disease vaccination is like, I think I read on one website, someone says it's like the prevention that you do, you know, whether it's like a topical or the the flea collar, all those kind of things. The prevention is like a belt and then the Lyme disease vaccination is like suspenders. Like it's like an added form of protection to just make sure for sure your dog will not get Lyme disease. Some symptoms of Lyme, just so you know, um, if your dog contracts it, it's usually um, there's like recurrent lameness due to inflammation of the joints, lethargy, um, depression, lack of appetite. And then more seriously, there could be damage eventually to kidneys and um, heart or nervous system. The Lyme vaccine um, does prevent Lyme disease in dogs. So it doesn't prevent the tick from biting your dog or sticking onto your dog, but it does prevent the disease from potentially being transmitted from that tick. Or if it is, your dog has a better chance of fighting off that infection. As I said, with the rattlesnake vaccination, I think the Lyme vaccine is probably not something that you're going to find at many urban veterinary offices. It may be something that they have to order for you if your dog is extra adventurous or you are extra adventurous with your dog. Um, And I think many vets also will just recommend the topical tick prevention first. But if you believe that your dog, if your dog is like constantly getting bitten by ticks and you live in an area where you're constantly finding ticks around, 
then it may be something that you want to speak with your vet about and see if they potentially recommend it. And also, it is a subcutaneous vaccine. You get an initial vaccine and then you get a booster a few weeks later, and then they are good for another year. All right, guys, we're done. That's all of them. I hope that was um a bit better than the core vaccine episode. That one, I think, was hard for me to verbalize everything correctly. And I, as I said, I did a lot more research on this episode and really wrote out my uh, like a script for myself to go through a little bit better. So I hope that that was understandable and easily digestible by all of you. I hope you learned something. If you have absolutely any questions, go ahead and, you know, feel free to DM me or feel free really to speak with your vet. And I'm off. Happy With A Dog Wednesday, you guys. If you want to follow the podcast, it's at With A Dog Podcast on Instagram and With A Dog Podcast on Facebook. Honestly, Instagram is like really the only social media thing I use. Um, I'm attempting to get into TikTok and Facebook a bit more, you know, at least try to post on that. But uh, yeah, Instagram's definitely your best bet. If you don't know, we also have exclusive episodes and those are with two of my friends, Ashley of at Jonathan's.journal on Instagram and Charlotte at Charlotte with dogs. Those are just like three friends talking about dog parent life, um, you know, just just chatting like dog mom life. And so if you're interested in more of the like unfiltered friends chatting it up, complaining about our dogs, anything like that, then go ahead and sign up for exclusive episodes. You can find those at the link in my Instagram bio. And last but not least, if you did enjoy this episode, I would so appreciate a five-star review on Spotify and Apple You can leave a review or just a rating. Give us a subscribe or a follow. Share it with your friends. It means so much. And I'll catch you next Wednesday. Bye. All content on the With A Dog podcast is for informational and comedic purposes only. It should not replace professional advice, treatment, or diagnosis by a certified veterinarian, trainer, or behaviorist.